All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. Um, already having our little uh, pre-discussions beforehand, <laughs> and uh, that's always fun. I always enjoy that. Um, uh, <clears throat> you know, any chance you get to sit down and talk about some things with the Word of God, it's always it's always refreshing. It's always good. Uh, we're going to start in Zechariah, where where we were this morning, uh, talking a little bit about some uh, some of the prophecy. Again, I didn't want to run roughshod over it. I wanted to to bring up some of it. Um, there's, and I, I'll put this out there, and I'll, I'll make it clear. Uh, you know, prophecy is is interpreted uh, when it occurs. Um, so when we take a look at things in scripture, uh, there was a lot of stuff that was prophesied. You know, you go back over and you read, uh, uh, some of the description about, um, um, and I can't remember whether it was Tyre or Sidon, uh, right now, I think it was Tyre, uh, that was, um, repeatedly sacked. And then it said something along the lines of it was going to be made for the spreading of the fishermen's nets. And everybody's like, that doesn't make any sense because it was inland for the longest time. And, um, and then, uh, you actually go over and you see what they did. And what they did is they, when it was sacked the first time, they decided to go ahead and take it and they took all the ruins and they threw them out in the middle of the sea and created an island and then built, built the new city on top of the island. And then, you know, there was only one way in and then they went in and sacked it again, destroyed it. And laid its waste, and now all it is used for is the fishermen to go and spread their nets. And we see that, you know, sometimes we don't have the full clarity of that. And I'm not going to sit there and I'm going to say, well, this is what's going to happen, and this is who it's going to be, and this is, you know, all these things, and this is how all these beasts are, and this is going to be this, you know, country, and this, this empire, and this, and that. Uh, there, there's a lot of sub, uh, you know, uh, subject matter regarding it. There's a lot of things where people start asking about uh, United States in, in in prophecy and things of that nature, and uh, so so there's a lot of there's a lot of if you will n- unknowns with it. Uh, the stuff that we see in the book of Revelation, there's a lot of unknown with it. You can't, nobody can sit there and say that they've seen any of those creatures that, that John describes coming up out of the bottomless pit with, you know, you know the, the scorpion, locust, woman, hair, teeth, uh, man, you know, things and, and these things, they have lion faces and all sorts of stuff terrorizing people. And people are like, well, those aren't going to be real creatures like that. And I'm like, well, why not? I mean, come on, isn't that the basis of every horror story and sci-fi film that's out there today is all these creatures that they go out there and uh, somebody sits there and dreams about and creates and puts them together in these horrific manners that are meant to terrorize the viewers and so on and so forth. Well, why wouldn't it be something like that, uh, that God has created for that specific purpose? You know, the, these uh, ones that are there, they go and they're, they're, they're meant to terrorize mankind but not kill them. You know, they're going to want to die, but they can't die. Uh, that mentality. Um, so there's there's a, there's a lot that, that that I'm going to make you know clear about this. But I wanted to point out this issue with the four horns, this prophecy, um, and one of the great things that I wanted to focus in on it was that in chapter one of Zechariah was that there is the coming of their destruction. So in in Zechariah chapter one. And, uh, uh, we, we, we see here, um, uh, in verse 14, it says, so the angel that communed with me said unto me, cry thou saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great jealousy. I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity shall uh, yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall uh, yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, what be these? And he answered me, and he said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. And then said I, 
what come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah, to scatter it. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for uh, your word, your scripture. Uh, Lord, I thank you that uh, you've preserved these prophecies for us. And Lord, I just pray for understanding. Uh, Lord, uh, we seek your truth. We seek it from your spirit. We don't seek uh, to impose uh, any of our own opinions or anything of that nature. But Lord, we just seek to see what your word says, uh, to see it uh, plainly and clearly. And Lord, I just pray that uh, we would receive those things uh, tonight, that Lord, we would just uh, have some understanding, uh, maybe walk away with this a little bit more um, uh, wonderment, if you will, about your word and a desire to, to learn more, uh, to learn more about you and uh, to learn more about your coming kingdom. Lord, I am so thankful and I am so um, just, uh, uh, just beyond rejoicing, Lord, knowing that uh, one day you're coming back. Uh, that your kingdom will be established, as it is uh, clearly mentioned over and over and over and over again in your word, uh, that, uh, Lord, uh, you will rule and reign. Um, and it will be very clear at that time exactly who you are and what you've done. Lord, I just thank you again for this time and this opportunity. Pray, Lord, that it would just please you, glorify you, and honor you with all that we do. I ask and pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we, we, we see these four horns, we see these four carpenters, and these four carpenters are meant to, you know, obviously cast out these Gentile kingdoms. Now, he makes it very clear here that he's talking about these horns, and he says they're horns of the Gentiles in verse 21. So we know very clearly that these are, as he said, these are these kingdoms that have come to scatter uh, Israel. Uh, Israel was told it was going to be scattered because of their sin, because of the idolatry that they had committed, because of the wickedness that they had brought forth and the wickedness that they had in their hearts. Uh, God said, well, there's going to be some punishment. There's going to be some judgment that comes. And he gives them reassurances. And as we saw in this, you know, in, in this book that there's uh, two thirds of them are going to get purged. There's a third that's going to be refined and as, as silver, as in as gold, and in talking about redemption, talking about the glory of God, uh, that, that that third is going to bring uh, to Christ. Obviously, that's that's the intent, the purpose behind it. But what we find about these four horns is that these four horns relate to other prophecies that we find in Scripture. Uh, these four horns, very specifically, are references to the four beasts that Daniel saw. Uh, they also relate to the, the beast that we find over there in the book of Revelation and Revelation chapter 13 specifically. And we'll take a look at that uh, in, in a short bit. Uh, but uh, I, I want to make this connection with Daniel first. So let's go ahead and turn over to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. <clears throat> now, you, you, you go through and uh, you read the first six chapters of the book of Daniel and everything seems to be fine. And then the next thing you know is you're like, whoa, what happened? Uh, <laughs> there's a dis- distinctive shift in uh, in the, uh, the form of writing. And what I mean by that is uh, you, you see Daniel chapter 7 and, um, and it says in verse 1, in the fifth year of... Uh, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, Daniel, had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. And again, you go through and you begin to read all of this, and, and, and it's, uh, it's a very uh, troubling thing that he sees. Because in verse 28, he says, uh, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my uh, cogitations much troubled me. And my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, he's pondering it. He's meditating. But you can see that it troubled him. Now, you, you, you begin to read these beasts and their descriptions, and that would be a very bizarre-looking creature to see right off the bat. Uh, and again, you got to remember, Daniel did not have Hollywood to help him with his imagination. I didn't have any of the 
individuals that could uh, create these uh, amazing special effects and costumes and creatures and things like that. He wasn't watching Star Wars and Star Trek or anything of that nature to kind of get an idea of what he was seeing. Uh, he, he, he saw these things, and as it says here, uh, and I like this, uh, my, my cogitations much troubled me. Uh, I, I like that passage of scripture. I, 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 I want to try to find some way to quote it, but it would be like way out of context. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but here he is, he, he, he's thinking on the matter, and, it, and it's troubling to him. The things that he sees. Because they're talking about some, some very serious end time prophecies. And the stuff that he's writing is, is, is very bizarre. Uh, take a look here in, uh, in, in this passage. And as we go through this in, in verse, uh, in verse two, it says, Daniel spake and uh, said, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. And the four, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. Uh, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. Well, that's a very interesting thing. I'll get to this in just a second. In verse 5, it says, And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised it up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had uh, upon the back of it four wings, of a fowl, and the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue uh, with the feet of it. It was diverse from all the, uh, the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I, he says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of man, and a mouth, speaking great things. And you look at that and you go, what? <laughs> it's It's bizarre. He, he doesn't describe, I mean, the other three he describes being related and having, if you will, a certain form. You know, he, he, here he's talking about a leopard, he's talking about a bear, he's talking about a lion, and then he talks about, I don't know what this thing is. And it's very unique. And it matches up with a lot of the things that we see in the prophecies throughout the Old Testament, throughout the prophets, throughout the minor prophets, and into the prophecies that we see in Revelation. And specifically, this last beast showing up. And this last beast is, is described somewhat over there as having some of the same features of a lion, of a bear, and of a leopard, and some of those things that, that are described there. And, and, the, and the purpose behind it is what we see is that it's an amalgamation of these other kingdoms. And we're going to see this in just a minute. But if you think back to the first part of the book of Daniel. And the way that God ties it in is you find that Daniel, when he starts rising to the positions that God placed him in, there was an issue with a dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, right? And in that dream, he saw a statue. And the statue had a head of gold. And if you will, let's go ahead and turn over there to, to, to that specific passage where he interprets that dream. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> let's go ahead and turn over to Daniel chapter 2. <coughs> and in verse 31, it says, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a, a, a great image, this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. And the image's head was of fine gold, his breast of 
and his arms of silver, his belly and his thigh of brass, the leg, uh, legs, his legs of iron, his uh, feet, part of iron, part clay. Thou sawest till the, till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them into pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold broken into pieces together and became like a cha- like the chaff in the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that there was no place found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain filled the whole earth. Now that stone is the rock called Jesus Christ. That stone specifically is talking about Jesus Christ coming and if you will, his kingdom occupying the whole earth. This is something that's very, very clear throughout the rest of Scripture. It matches up with what we see in Zechariah. It matches up with what we see in the book of uh, Revelation, as well as other prophets. And he goes through this, and he begins to tell the interpretation of the dream, and he starts talking about these certain kingdoms. Now, these certain kingdoms, the the, the one of the head of gold, he said, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, that's you. Now, j- just keep in mind, this is how God is ranking a human form of government, by the way. Where you, you have Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a Congress, didn't have a Senate, didn't have a Supreme Court. Who was it? It was Nebuchadnezzar. It was whatever Nebuchadnezzar said. That's what went. A dictatorship. He said, that one's gold. Next one that we see, that well, the kingdom that comes after that, after that head that defeats uh, the, the, the kingdom of Babylon is the Medo-Persian Empire, represented by two arms, the Medes and the Persians. Now, obviously not as valuable, because it's silver, gold is much more valuable. But that silver still had a huge part to play in it. There was a lot that talks about that silver in forms of some of the redemption that we wind up seeing in the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, Medo-Persian Empire is the stuff that you see with uh, uh, um, uh, Daniel in the lion's den. You see the Medo-Persian Empire is the one that was... Uh, um, uh, you know, the book of Esther, the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, the ones that were sending them back to rebuild the temple or rebuild the walls. And if you will, to, you know, have the nation of Israel preserved from Haman's noose. So we see all of those taking place during that period of time, talking about a lot of redemption for the nation of Israel. This is an important thing to see. But as you go down a little bit, you get down to that brass, and then we get into that, uh, that, uh, that brass, um, uh, bellies and loins there and thighs, things, uh, that he talks about there. We start talking about the Greeks. Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great, um, he, he had a, a very powerful kingdom. He rose to power very quickly. Uh, he conquered very quickly, um, but then was uh, immediately, uh, it was uh, split apart upon his death because he had no heir. And it was amazingly split into four kingdoms, four groups, four divisions, four provinces, however you want to put it. And then after that, who came in and defeated the Greeks? Because the Greeks became... Uh, so um, adept at humanism and so adept at the promotion of young ideas versus the old paths that they fell very quickly to the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, as we know, split into two. There's the Eastern, and then there was, uh, you know, uh, the Eastern Orthodox, uh, and then the Roman uh, Catholic style uh, that was eventually split. And then it goes down to these wonderful little things down at the bottom, the feet uh, being of iron and clay. And those are, you know, ten kingdoms, uh, if you will, forming some form of a, uh, if you will, democratic republic of some type. And that's generally where the, the end stops. Um, 
So we see those things in those visions. And obviously the lower half represents what happens with the Roman Empire. Now, interestingly enough, the Roman Empire has had an influence in government throughout the world. It has had influence in our government. We have a Roman form of a republic. And so do others. It has an influence in what, to, uh, what takes place over there in, uh, in England itself, too. So we see some things in, in that regards. But uh, at the same time, it also shows very clearly that it is of a weaker consistency. It's less valuable. Especially when we start mixing it with clay. And it doesn't hold very well. As a matter of fact, we see that the, the, the parts don't mix when we start looking at that over there uh, in, in, in Daniel. But one thing that we see very clearly with this is we see that these four horns begin to relate to those four kingdoms that we see in the image and relate to these four beasts that Daniel saw. And what Daniel saw is he saw that first beast, the one with the line, and turn back over there to Daniel chapter 7, that one with the line and the wings representing some things of the Babylonian Empire. This, this is historical in nature. We can go back and we can make those connections. Uh, interestingly enough, one of the biggest things that uh, they promoted and, and that they had an image uh, in the Babylonian Empire was they were all about lions. Why? Because lions were powerful. Lions were, you know, they were the, the, the biggest, baddest cat in town. You didn't mess with the lion. Lions were, were, were impressive. I mean, you had a den of lions that Daniel was thrown into that nobody really wanted to go into. You have, uh, you know, lions, uh, uh, in, in, in throughout scripture doing certain things. Uh, lion going in and, and grabbing a, uh, uh, a, a young prophet that, uh, failed to listen to the word of God and failed to do exactly what he was told. And, uh, the, the lion kills him and just leaves him there, doesn't do anything with him. And, uh, uh, his ride, uh, the, the, the ass that, uh, the, 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 the prophet was writing on, just sat there next to him and uh, just kind of sat there, both of them, just kind of looking at each other and looking at the guy and everybody's walking by going, well, this is weird. But what we find is we find that the lion is representative of strength. But at some point in time, when we go back and we take a look at this, we realize that it becomes, if you will, changed. The empire isn't what it was. Part of the Babylonian Empire gets plucked away through some of the the rebellions and things that were going on, and we see there in verse four where he says it had uh, it was a lion that had eagle's wings, and I beheld these wings therefore, or uh, uh, till the the wings therefore were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. A lion with a man's heart is a coward. This lion is no longer a lion. It doesn't represent strength anymore. And we find that that's exactly what happens. Because you go over there and you start realizing what Daniel started talking about with uh, 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 Belshazzar when he saw the handwriting on the wall and said that he was going to be destroyed. And that night he was, and he was taken uh, uh, and uh, killed, and uh, the, 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 the kingdom fell. And we find that uh, that uh, that king was no Nebuchadnezzar. It was no Nebuchadnezzar. He was a coward. He wasn't a fighter. He was just enjoying, if you will, the riches of his forefathers, living on daddy's riches. And the end result was is God had had enough of him and that kingdom, and that kingdom was going to be done away with. And God decided to use another Gentile kingdom. And again, this was to help with the nation of Israel to obviously bring them into some correction, bring back some national response, turn to God. And we see the Medo-Persian Empire coming in, and that one is described as a bear. And it, uh, it describes these three uh, um, three uh, areas that it, uh, that it came and it conquered and took over. And uh, it did devour much flesh. 
Medo-Persian Empire was uh, was uh, not a, a an army you wanted to mess with. Uh, they were uh, some of the fiercest fighters that, that had ever existed. Um, the Persians uh, were 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 very bloodthirsty in the way that they operated, and they still they you know over there in Iran they still are. Uh, what we do find is that uh, they obviously, at some point in time, they are done away with as a new one comes in. And that one that comes in is the one of Greece. And that's where we find this one in verse 6, where it says, And I behold, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. That was Greece for the longest period of time. Alexander the Great, he, like I said, he moved. He moved quickly. He he was a, he was a great battle tactician, but man, he was a reprobate. Let's just put it that way. And uh, he he uh, moved quickly, but then when he died, and interestingly, anybody know where he died? What city? Babylon. He died in Babylon. And he was trying to set up Babylon as his empire for his kingdom, not Greece. Which is very interesting because we see a lot of, lot of concern about Babylon today. The country of Iraq. There's a lot going on over there. You know, people sit there and they'll say, well, you know, we shouldn't have been over there. We shouldn't have been looking for weapons of mass destruction and things of that nature. Well, I am 100% convinced, and again, this this will be part of my opinion. I'll just say this. Uh, Those things that took place over there were taking place for prophecy to continue. For prophecy to happen. God's setting the stage. God's setting the stage. But we find that uh, Alexander the Great's uh, um, empire was split into four parts. It's four generals. Just like this one has four heads and four wings. So we see that obviously when it moved with its great swiftness uh, and it was eventually taken, it had great dominion. And if you look at it today, the, the, the influence of the Greek uh, empire still is it has its effects today in law in medicine in philosophy in psychology uh beforehand we were just talking about the word of god and talking about you know uh original languages that it was written in it was origin, uh, originally written in ancient hebrew which is not spoken today or read by except for, i think only theologians and then Aramaic, which is a form of Hebrew, which again is not read or spoken except by theologians. And then it was Koine Greek, which is ancient Greek, which is only read again by theologians. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're all debating about, you know, the pronunciation of it and so on and so forth. Why? Because it hasn't been spoken in like thousands of years. The last time that it was probably spoken was at the time over there in the 1600s when they were actually uh, commissioned by uh, King James to come along and, and put together the word of God in the English language for the English speaking people so that they could have the word of God readily available to them in direct conflict and violation of what the Roman Catholic Church was trying to get them to do. The Roman Catholic Church didn't want anybody reading their Bible. Cause then that would mean that they would lose, uh, their influence. That was a problem. But what we find here in, in, in these passages is we find that it matches up with historical. And then we see this Roman form of a government that shows up in chapter, or chapter 7, verse 7, that is truly described in detail here of how it behaves. It didn't have one form, didn't have one form of an animal that was associated with it. It has all sorts of forms, but it, all we know is it's mean, nasty, terrible, and it has a tendency to destroy what it destroys, you know, everything. But it obviously eventually broke apart. We see that it actually, from the ten kingdoms that it had, 
the ten Gentile kingdoms that were associated with it, three of them went away and there was a small one that came up. And that small one that took over those three, that little horn that we see here, that has eyes and a mouth and speaks, is the Antichrist. Now, obviously, some of these prophecies have not taken place. We can see a lot of things in there in historical typology, but not 100%. Now, how do we know so that there's some of this going on? Go over to Daniel chapter 10. Again, you ever been reading along in Daniel, and you kind of get through the first part, and you're like, okay, that's weird. And then you get to Daniel chapter 10, and you go, no, that's really weird. Because as you go through this, you find in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. (laughs) And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks, 21 days. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all uh, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So he's not eating, he's not drinking anything pleasant, and he didn't take a bath. Wow. <clears throat> and in the four and twentieth day of the month, I was by the side of the great river, which is uh, called Hedekiel, Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man, clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with the fine gold of Uphaz. His body was uh, like the barrel, and his face uh, like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes were as lamps of fire, and his arms were, uh, and his feet were like fine, uh, like in color of polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. That's generally what happens when things start moving and shaking. Therefore, as I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into uh, turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. And I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me up on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understanding the words that I speak unto thee, and stand up. For thee, uh, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. And he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the king of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. Now, are, 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 you, are you getting what's going on here? He's having a vision. The ground starts trembling. Everybody runs. He falls flat on his face because of what he sees. He, he He's just, you know, essentially almost passes out. And then he hears his voice and he does pass out. He goes into a deep sleep. And this angel comes and says, hey, by the way, you know, God heard your words. I've been sent, but I've been delayed three weeks. And I've been delayed by a principality. You go over there in in, in Ephesians, and in Ephesians chapter 6, he starts talking about the armor of God, right? He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? And he makes use of the word principalities. Now, those principalities aren't the princes of this world, as in humans. Each country has a prince that it's assigned to. Michael happens to be assigned to Israel. And what we find here is we find that Michael has to come help this 
specific angel, entity, if you will, um, to, to fight against this other principality that's with the kings of Persia. And it's wanting to do things that it, uh, that are against God. It's wanting to stop things. He goes through all of this. He tells them what's going to happen with them and so on and so forth. And, and, uh, and, uh, he, he comes down here to verse 18. It says, then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man. And he strengthened me and he said, Oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong. Yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for thou hast strengthened me. And he said, uh, then he said, knowest whence, uh, wherefore I come unto thee now, and now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. He just told Daniel the next kingdom. Those kingdoms begin to line up. What Daniel saw over there, we begin to see line up. Turn over to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 13. Hosea chapter 13. In Hosea chapter 13, here's some prophecy that, uh, um, that we wind up seeing here. Um, and again, this prophecy is dealing with some of those kingdoms that are sent for the purpose of bringing Israel into bondage. And it says uh, um, here in verse 7, Therefore I will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard by the way. I will observe them, and I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps. And I'll rend the call of their heart, and uh, there will I devour them like a lion, and a wild beast shall tear them. It's interesting, he just mentioned three of those beasts over there. And then he mentions a wild beast that is unnamed that tears them. And he's talking about some punishment. He's talking about the nation, these nations, these kingdoms coming for the purpose of doing that. Now again, we see that these things take place in a historical manner, and we're left with this one that is Rome. And if you look at Rome, and you were to look at the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw, you would find that the longest-running kingdom part would be the legs. And it lasts for a long time. And then it goes even further into these other branches where it goes into the feet and then it goes into ten toes and ten kingdoms, which again are going to match up with those ten horns that are on that one beast. Those ten, ten toes match up with the ten horns that are on this beast that we saw over in Daniel chapter 7 that is, descri- is not described as any other animal. So we see that there's this connection. We see this connection coming in. We see over in, and in, in if you will, turn over to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 13, we've got that fourth beast that shows up. And this fourth beast is described in very similar appearance. And interestingly enough, those uh, uh, other, um, uh, if you will, uh, kingdoms that we saw, those other beasts uh, were around for a while, but then they were put down, but God allowed them to exist for a little bit. And we see that w- with what happened, because they're still, you know, exist today in, in various forms. But in, in Revelation chapter 13, it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a great, or saw a beast uh, rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. The purpose behind this one is very clear. It is anti-God. It is anti-Christ. It is anti-Holy Spirit. Everything about it is anti-biblical. 
And in verse 2, it says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth is the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him power, and his seat, and great authority. Now we see what happened with those other ones. This other beast began to, if you will, envelop it. Take it over. Take on some of the characteristics behind it. Now, when we get to this point, we see that uh, there's some things that happen. And this is, again, very much describing the kingdom of the Antichrist. This is the one that they're always talking about with the one world government, the one world religion. And everybody's always trying to come up with and, and, and talk about this. And, and everyone's, oh man, I grew up, um, some of you probably probably have heard it too, um, because you might have heard it from the same people that I heard it from too. Uh, that the, the, the one world government is going to be based off of the Roman Catholic religion and things of that nature. Well, okay, I understand why they're saying that, but you got to understand that Rome was not about a Roman Catholic religion. Rome was all about humanism. From the minute it was founded to the minute it left. The Roman Catholic religion was there and it had a huge influence in, in that, uh, uh, that government, but I will tell you this, the main thing behind that, and if you take a look at the main thing behind the Roman Catholic religion, you will find humanism at its core. Every false religion, humanism is at its core. It's the Babylonian woman. It's the harlot. It's seductive. People are over there sitting there talking about how Islam's going to take over the world and Roman Catholicism is going to conquer everything and the rise of the Roman Empire and they're going to come and they're going to conquer. And no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. One of the things that we wind up seeing is we see individuals beginning to hate those religions. We are seeing a rise currently right now where people are not identifying with any religion at all. The nuns, as they're called. Not N-U-N, as the ones that would slap your, your your hands with the rulers, if you remember. Some of you probably have scars from that. <laughs> I know my dad did. <laughs> um, but uh, as in N-O-N-E-S. They don't subscribe to any religion. As a matter of fact, they hate all religion. They think religion is an opiate of the masses. And it hasn't been called that many times. But the end result that we see there is we see that this one comes and it begins to uh, do some things. It gives a, it's been given great authority. And by the way, that dragon that is there is the dragon, the devil himself. And the devil gives authority to this kingdom. So we see from this very beginning, it is a devilish, Luciferian, if you will, beast in form of government. And the Luciferian religion, the Satanist religion, is not worship the devil, it's worship yourself. Yeah, yeah there are those that go out there and they say, oh, well, we worship Satan and we worship Satan and they call themselves Satanists. You get a hold of a real Satanist and he'll say, absolutely not, we don't worship our, the devil, what are you talking about? We don't believe in any god, we are our own gods. Isn't that exactly what he said in the garden? And that's where they get it from. That's the mentality. So we we, we begin to, to, to realize what's happening here. We begin to see all of this in verse 3. It says, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, uh, wounded to death, and uh, his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered at the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue four and two, or forty and two months. Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Right smack dab in the middle of the tribulation period. And as we continue to go on a little bit further, it says, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and overcome them, and power was given unto uh, him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwelt upon the face of the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. 
He that leadeth it into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doth great wonders and maketh fire come down from heaven uh, on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of the miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live, and he gave power, uh, or excuse me, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, bond, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the same, uh, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six, six six six. So we find this is all the stuff that people are talking about today, and they want to know who the Antichrist is, and they want to know what government this is, and how it's going to form, and so on and so forth. And the basis for it is you cannot take Islam and you cannot make it fit Christianity. You cannot make Christianity and make it fit Islam. You can't take any of the other religions, such as Judaism, and try to make it fit in there. And you can have some sort of, if you will, uh, unholy trinity of bringing those three together and try to try to have that, but uh, they're going to constantly be disagreeing with each other. Why do we know that? Because a Roman Catholic can't get along with another Roman Catholic. They can't get along with Eastern Orthodox, so why would they get along with a Roman Catholic? Why would they get along with, a, with, with somebody of Islam? Why would they get along with a Jew? And we see all of these individuals trying to come up with ecumenicalism and so on and so forth. But you know what they want to do? They want to eliminate that all that, that option entirely and bring everybody together under the concept of we are all one man. Man is God. That's what they're wanting to rise up as. And this other beast that we see here, this is the false prophet. So remember, in the uh, in the tribulation, you've got the dragon, you've got the antichrist or the beast, as he's called, and then you have the false prophet. We know what the end of the antichrist and the false prophet are. They're thrown in the lake of fire. Uh, the dragon is thrown into a bottomless pit. He comes out and he tries to deceive the nations one more time after the thousand-year millennial reign. We find this at the end of the book of Revelation. And the end result is, is God says, nope, not happening. And he destroys the armies that try to come up against Jerusalem to expel and get rid of Christ off of the earth. And uh, next thing you know is the devil's cast in the lake of fire. The earth is destroyed. Uh, the great white throne judgment occurs. If your name isn't found in the Lamb's book of life, there is a uh, lake of fire that awaits you that is just like the one for uh, the, uh, the devil and uh, his angels. And the end result that we see is there's the new heaven, new earth that's created. There's no more sin. There's no more death. There's no more crying. There's none of that. Because that's all been eliminated. But what we find here is we find in these, this passage and these four horns, we find hope. The nation of Israel finds hope. Each one of those four horns is defeated. God uses something to come up, an architect, excuse me, not an architect, a carpenter to come in and destroy each one of them. And the carpenter that comes in and destroys the fourth beast, the Antichrist, his name is Jesus. I wonder why it was a carpenter. So we see that there's a lot of this connection there. Now, when we start talking about modern applications, somebody's going to start jumping around and they're going to start saying, well, that lion over there is England and it's got uh, the wings, the wings of an eagle. That's got to be the United States of America. And those were plucked off in rebellion. And then now you have this, uh, if you will, uh, weakened lion that's out there that really doesn't do anything and is a coward. Yeah, 
being part English, I take a little bit of an offense to that, but, okay, you know, um, and, 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 and people can argue that, but I will tell you this, um, you know, these kingdoms have come and gone. We might see them in typology in history, but the kingdom that still exists, the kingdom that's hanging out there, the one that's talking about the fullness of the Gentile, you know, time of the Gentiles, is, uh, is that really long one? The legs. The Roman Empire that begins to form that government that we saw here that had the ten horns, three of which go away, that the Antichrist takes over and and gets rid of, and he rises up and he becomes that new one that supersedes all the rest of those kingdoms. And and uh, people are going to start going over there and they're going to start talking about, well, that bear is obviously Russia. Well, that's interesting. You don't realize is that Russia has never used the symbol of the bear? No, that was assigned to it by other people. The symbol of Russia is a two-headed eagle. Always has been. You know, there was always the hammer and sickle of the form of communism and so on and so forth. I get that. But uh, as far as the bear... That really wasn't something that uh, they they chose for themselves. England did choose choose a lion, and the United States of America did choose uh, an eagle. And depending on which history book you read and which revisionist one you read, uh, there was something about Benjamin Franklin suggesting that the uh, that the you know the the country's bird should be a turkey, um, which I still don't know what that one means. Why? It's probably something along the lines of, you know, George Washington chopping down a cherry tree or something. But, um, but interestingly enough, um, some of the things that you see about, uh, these countries that are coming in that, uh, during the, the tribulation period that have some parallels to these, uh, specific countries that, uh, that come in with England and, um, uh, against uh, Israel and uh, the, you see Russia. Russia has always been uh, anti-Israel and then pro everyone that hates Israel. Uh, interestingly enough, um, there's three countries that it's currently has set its sights on that it really is interested in that happen to be connected to Ezekiel chapter 38 over there where it's specifically talking about uh, one of those great battles that comes up against Jerusalem from the bear. Now, those three ribs in its mouth are the ones that are being devoured and are saying, yeah, you need to continue to devour the rest of the earth. And somebody's going to jump on there and say, see the Ukraine, the Ukraine, Ukraine. You realize that at some point in time, uh, uh, Russia's got to give up on this whole Ukraine idea. You know who it's really interested in, who it's been interested in for a very long time? Turkey. It's always been fascinated with Turkey. And right now, Turkey is being a thorn in NATO's side. They're causing a lot of problems. Turkey is anti-Israel, by the way. One minute they're for them, and the next minute they're not. Interestingly enough, you go over there and you start reading about those uh, seven churches over there in the book of Revelation. Go map out where they are. Quite a few of them are in Turkey, Asia Minor. Well, why is Turkey so important? Because Russia wants access to the Mediterranean so it can ship its oil and gas. Profit. But beyond that... It hates Israel. So you know what other countries that it likes to subsidize and it also likes to try to influence in addition to Turkey? There's two others in the uh, the area of the region. Syria. Interestingly enough, the prophecy is that it says that Damascus is going to be flattened. I didn't didn't put it in that reference, but there's an interesting part in there where it talks about Damascus is going to be just destroyed. Damascus isn't destroyed right now. That's coming up. Well, who does the destruction of it? 
Well, it talks about Israel doing some of that destruction against uh, Damascus and, and being uh, put down, which would make a lot of sense considering that uh, Israel and uh, Syria have not been very friendly as of late. And it would not surprise me if uh, Israel made an incursion into Syria and said enough is enough. And who's the other one that keeps being a thorn in the side of Israel that primarily supplies Hezbollah and Hamas? Iran. Iran and Russia are buddy buddies. They like to be. But uh, it's not convenient relationship right now for Russia. So they can't talk much about it. The end result is you see that there's a lot of countries that we could say are modern day applications in this. I'm not saying they are. Because I know this. If you're a study and a student of history, borders change. Frequently. Frequently. Countries change. Iraq is no longer what Iraq is. They're talking about dividing up Iraq because it's so problematic they can't get anybody to agree. Interestingly enough, the Turks do not like the Kurds. They've never liked the Kurds. As a matter of fact, they hate the Kurds. Kurds are in the north, over by Syria. So what do the Turks do? They constantly are repeatedly trying to hurt the Kurds as much as they can. That was a big issue. Because Turkey didn't want us using their air bases if we were going to be helping the Kurds in any way, shape, or form. Back with all the insurrection that was going on with Iraq. We see all of this and we can say, well, hey, some of this is lining up. Some of it lines up this way. Some of it lines up that way. Look, I don't know. I think it's very interesting to see some of these connections. But I think it's pretty presumptuous of us to think that they are actually going to be that way. As far as the third one, you start talking about, well, what country represents Greece today? Greece. (laughs) That place, the GNC has been a mess for like a long time. Cause you, you, you gotta toss in there in the Aegean Sea, you've got, uh, you've got the Albanians, you've got the, uh, uh, Croats, you've got the Serbs, you've got the Bosnians, and then you've got, uh, um, uh, Slovakia and all the rest of them over there, and they've been killing each other for generations. Remember back there in the 90s, that was a big deal. When the Yugoslavia just kind of broke apart and they all, you know, were doing their things and there was genocide and people were killing each other off and blowing each other up and it was just constant. And shortly after that, those countries, you know, they began to try to form these uh, quote unquote uh, democratic republics and they're loose and tenuous at best and, uh, uh, they've just become a den of thieves. So as far as what Greece is, Greece is Greece is in trouble. Greece is in financial hardship. But Greece still wants to remain a world power and have world influence and world dominance. But it can't because it's in a very, very, very sticky situation. And it also is in direct conflict with Turkey. Those two do not like each other. They really never have. But the one that we see, that we see here is the, this last beast that is the one that is taken out by Jesus Christ. And we find that, and if you will, go over to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17, we'll read these few passages and then we'll, we'll kind of be done. This is again, just kind of whet your appetite on some of this. But in Revelation chapter 17, and in verse 12, and it says, or in verse 11, it says, and the beast that was and is not, uh, he is the eighth and is of the seventh and goeth unto perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom yet, but uh, receive power as kings one hour with a beast. And there's one of the reasons why. God just told you. You're not going to know what those ten kingdoms are. Now, I have a tendency to believe God. Not some guy that comes in there and starts trying to put those in there. 
Oh, it's the European Union. Oh, it's the European Union is being held together by bailing wire and duct tape. That thing is like, <laughs> well, that has something to do with the United Nations. Ah, well, whatever. United Nations, uh, you know, they've got their problems. And we see all of this, but he, he makes it clear. In verse 13, he says, They have one mind, and they shall give their power and strength unto the beast. And he shall make, uh, these shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he's the Lord of lords and king of kings, and they are with him, are called, are chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, uh, where the horse sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, he shall hate the whore, and they shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Turning on each other. Turning on that mentality. Turning on that mystery Babylon. And it's interesting to always note, for some strange reason, everybody wants to go back and rebuild Babylon. Saddam Hussein wanted to do it. Iran wants to do it. Russia wants to do it. They all want to do it. Why? Because the centrality of it. Now, there's some amazing things you go over and you begin to read what happens over there when uh, when Jesus Christ comes back. And I didn't even read those this morning or read them tonight. But one thing that you see in regards to Jesus Christ coming back, that whole landscape over there changes in a heartbeat. He sets foot in that land which we look at today and we go, this is a garden spot. This is the promised land. I think I'll stay in Washington. Thank you very much. Because there's nothing over there. You ever been to Lebanon? It's nasty. Well, there might be some kind of beautiful areas. Oh, look, there's an olive tree, you know. But it's nothing like what was described. But Jesus Christ comes back and that curse is lifted. And it says that whole land up into, you know, into those plains, it starts, it starts to expand and it becomes one of the most fertile areas. You realize the devil knows that. And that's why he wants it. Why he's desiring those things. Take a look here at verse, uh, verse, um, uh, um, Verse 17, it says, For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdoms unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Now, this is, this is an important thing. I read that verse to close with this. God's got this. Uh, if we try to go around and start trying to stuff certain things in there, we're going to probably wind up being made fools. It's like trying to, again, put a date on his return. God says, no man knows the day nor the hour. People are like, well, that doesn't mean we can't know the year. Oh, just stop. Just stop. You know what? You can sit there and you can worry about all this stuff or you can worry about the person next to you that's dying and going to hell. Or you can pray for the person that is struggling in their Christian walk and their Christian life. Now, prophecy is an important thing to understand. And I'm not diminishing it in any way, shape, or form. It should be something you study. It should be something you look at. But you also have to understand, prophecy unfulfilled is going to be determined by the prophecy when it is fulfilled. Not by what we think. Because I can't even begin to imagine what all of them said and what all of them thought when all of these things were being described. These beasts, these kingdoms, and they're like, who are these? Where, where, where are they coming from? And then now we look back in a historical context and we can go, ah, we can see it. We can see that type. Looking forward, we still haven't seen the full, if you will, amalgamation of what this fourth beast is. It's a bit of a mystery. How it looks, we can say, we can look at it, and we can go, well, there's definitely humanism involved. 
We can definitely say there's the promotion of man. We can definitely say that there's all sorts of stuff and wickedness that's going on with it. But the key thing that we want to focus on is the hope that we found over there in the book of Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 1. What was that? Four carpenters defeated the four horns. And this fourth one will again be defeated by a carpenter when he comes to rule and reign. I know this probably left a lot of questions. And I understand that. And again, this is just, there's no way you can go through all of this in, in, in an hour or an hour and five minutes to be exact. But it does spark some interest. But above all, it sparks hope in the return of my Savior. That's what I look forward to. I look forward to that day. Let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you've given to us. And Lord, there's, there's a lot here. There's a lot that we don't know. And Lord, we just take it with faith. We believe it. And while we may not see the end result, we may not see promises fulfilled in our lifetime, we may not see these things come true in ours. But Lord, regardless, we know that your word is pure, that your word is true, and it will. Lord, I pray that we would just grow um, and desire and that this will just continue to, if you will, Lord, move us and uh, um, give, a, give a strong desire, Lord, to study your word more, to look at these things, to look at the other passages that are connected with this, as there's many, many others. And Lord, I just pray that we would just have a desire to please you and honor you in our studies and in, 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 in a way that is uh, um, approved by you, Lord. And again, Lord, I just uh, pray that we would please you throughout the rest of this week. The Lord would give you glory, honor, and praise throughout it. I thank you again for all that you've done for us. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.